Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, if you don't have a traditional Bible and you'd like one and you're comfortable, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our early Christmas gift to you. If you have your smart device, you can also open the Uversion app. It's also called the Bible app. We have uploaded all the notes and all the scriptures. Of course, we'll also put them right back here on the screen behind me just to make it as easy as possible. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings like in Detroit or in Canada or in California or China, yeah, we have a little group that meets in China. My friends who are missionaries there, they gather people together and they get them. And I don't know if they're breaking the law or what they're doing, but they're excited about what God's doing. They send us little messages. And so, so if you're watching us at one of our other gatherings, love you guys and glad that you're part of our family and super glad that you guys are here and that you are part of our family too. I want to wrap this series up today with the first message that I actually thought of when I thought about this concept. And I think it could be the most destructive, damaging, deceptive, detrimental message we send ourselves. It is the message that says, I'm a sinner. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you. This is the day that you have made. And so we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, as we like kind of turn that corner, that, that last curve coming into Christmas, God, I pray for peace among my friends in this room. You know, God, people who, uh, you know, this is a hard season for some people. uh, As Pastor Sonny said, this could be the first Christmas without someone. Or God, it could be like the 20th Christmas without someone and they just don't seem to get any easier. God, it's difficult uh, for some of the guys in this room who aren't gonna think about buying a gift until 1045 on the 24th of December, and then they pray that Walgreens is open. So I pray, I pray that there's still inventory on that day and that our hearts and our minds will be changed and that we'll be different when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You see those people, there's two days of the year that they show up Christmas Eve and the day before Valentine's Day or on Valentine's Day where they show up, do you have any chocolate left? They freak out. So I tried to be ahead of the curve this year. I'm a big stocking guy. I like to put a bunch of stuff in the stockings. Sometimes I like to do like my, like my mom did in our stockings. My mom and dad who watched this, I love you. I loved our stockings, but we just knew that there was going to be a handful of loose nuts, no cracker, and there was going to be an orange right at the bottom of the, of the sock. So sometimes I like to put that stuff in there just to make my kids feel nostalgic. But I like, like, the, like our stock, sometimes the stockings in our house are so full that we have to put that. And when I say we, I mean I have to put stuff next to the stocking. And so it's kind of this, the stockings have gotten a little out of hand. So I was way ahead of the curve on the stockings this year. And so I had all kinds of candy and all kinds of 
treats and stuff. And then uh, our, we had our dog, Moses, in our garage this week, and he found the stocking candy. And he ate all the chocolate, and he opened up the stuff that wasn't chocolate and didn't eat it. So we found out we had a very discerning dog. He likes chocolate, but he doesn't like Sour Patch Kids. And so anyway... <laughs> Some people are going to be freaked out this week. Just, hey, FYI, guys, men in this room, Christmas is one week from today. So you've got, you, there's fair warning. Anyway, I, I grew up in a uh, spiritually diverse culture and community. Uh, I grew up in a neighborhood with Hindus, Buddhists, Taoists, Seventh-day Adventists, lots of Muslims, uh, and a handful of Christians who were missionary Baptists, uh, AME, Methodists, some form a Pentecostal, and that didn't really impact me until college. Uh, I, I had the same best friend from kindergarten through the 12th grade. His sisters all called me the breakfast man because uh, every time they woke up, any day, Monday through Saturday, when they woke up, I was at their breakfast table eating their cereal because their, their mom bought sugar smacks and we got cr crispy, you know, and so, the, sorry, I love you, mom. And so like they called me the breakfast man. We spent every day together until we went to different colleges. He went to Michigan and I went to Minnesota. And when we went to college, we took different spiritual paths. He joined the Nation of Islam, changed his name, and swore off pork and the blue-eyed devil, a.k.a. the white man. I chose Christianity, and I decided to follow Jesus full-time. Our spiritual choices, they divided us, and he hasn't spoken to me since. It's been almost 30 years since my decision caused that divide, and in that time, I have seen lots of spiritual trends come and go, both in the church and, and in individuals who claim to be followers of Jesus. In the church, for example, I've seen the seeker-sensitive movement where we almost dumbed the gospel down so much that it minimized it. We stopped talking about Jesus by name. We stopped having any religious artifacts in our churches. We stopped taking offerings, and we just put a little wood box in the back of our church, and we didn't want to offend anybody. We dumbed the gospel down so much that it minimized it. Now, I've also seen the Young and Reformed movement where where you had angry, aggressive guys who, who wore affliction gear and preached about predestination and how God has his elect, this, uh, this select group of people who before the beginning of time, God chose to be saved. And if you aren't part of that elect, or if you aren't one of those people who God chose to select, no matter what you do for the rest of your life, you're out of luck. And just as much as the seeker-sensitive movement took the gospel and dumbed it down to the point that it minimized it, the young and reformed movement, it took the gospel and it made it so discriminate that it marginalized it. I've seen some spiritual trends in the church. I've seen some spiritual trends in people who claim to be followers of Jesus, too. Like, I've seen the holiness movement, uh, where everything you do is wrong. <laughs> you can't play cards, can't show your hair, can't wear pants if you're a girl. You can't go to the movies. You can't listen to secular music. You can't uh, smoke or chew or hang around with girls who do. It's like, like a holiness movement where literally like everything that you did was a sin. And that caused people to hide every struggle and every shortcoming. It made them act like they had everything all together. It made them act like they had everything all figured out. 
I've, I've also seen the trends uh, where people wanted to be real or they wanted to be relevant, which had the opposite effect of the holiness movement, and it caused people to almost celebrate every struggle and shortcoming that they had. Spiritual trends, they come and they go. And I don't think any of them start with bad intentions, but so many of them end up being really, really destructive, individually and corporately. But there's one trend that I have seen come that just doesn't seem to be going away. And it's where well-intentioned people uh, say this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And on the surface, that seems holy. On the surface, that seems humble. But at its core, at its root, it's really, really destructive. Because at its core, it's a defining statement. It's, a, it's subconsciously establishing identity. I don't know if you know this, but identity is a big issue in our culture. We are in the midst of an identity crisis. There is so much confusion. There seems to be so many choices. And those choices are rooted in however you identify. But biblically, there is no identity crisis. Biblically, there is no confusion. There's only two choices. There's only two ways for you to identify. The Bible says you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Now, it says we're all born in Adam. And so because we're all born in Adam, we inherit Adam's sinful nature. And because of that sinful nature, we have got to be reborn in Christ, in Christ. It's a central theme throughout the New Testament. It's a term that is mentioned 216 times. Now, we weren't meant to just live for Christ. We were meant to live in Christ. Now, the great apostle Paul, he told us how to do that when he told us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I, I kind of like how, the, how the, the message paraphrase says that. It says to be energetic in your life of salvation. I love that. Be energetic in your life of salvation. A lot of times people, when they get saved, it becomes a litany of things you can't do. <laughs> uh, to me, it becomes a thing of things you can do. You can be free. Amen. You can be peaceful. You can go to heaven. Like you can like there's lots of stuff you can do when when you get saved. But but a lot of people we feel like like when you get saved. And some of that is because of this um this old school mentality in the church that tells you how much you suck. My pastor used to say, is it easier to tell a man his face is dirty or point him to the mirror? Like, if I tell you that you're wrong, you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. But if I live my life before you in a way that isn't wrong, at some point, maybe you'll aspire to live your life in that same way. It's just this idea of, I, I want people to leave this place feeling better than they felt when they got here. People, when they woke up this morning, some of you guys felt like chicken little and you felt like the sky was falling. I don't need you to know that the ceiling is lower than it was when you got here. I don't need you to leave this place and go, oh my God, oh, oh Jesus, don't come back today. That's my life. If I die in a wreck, you already think that. Yeah. 
I want you to leave here and think, yeah, I can't. I can live my life. And so, like, be energetic in your life of salvation. Salvation is great. Living for Jesus is great. It's freeing, and it's exciting, and it's, and it's liberating. He says, be reverent and be sensitive before God. So, so the old one says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And when I, when I decided to follow Jesus full time, I did that. Uh, I took a deep dive into who I was. I was mean and ugly, impatient and impetuous, rude, hateful, disrespectful, disobedient, arrogant, violent, a cheat, a thief, a liar. When I decided to follow Jesus full time, I did like a real analysis of my life and I realized I was a sinner. But I didn't want to stay that way, and I realized I also didn't have to stay that way, because in Christ, I could take on a new identity. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Listen, I am not a sinner. I sin, but that's not who I am. And the world's going to continue to try to label me that way. But if I'm in Christ, God won't. This book, the Bible, is clear on that. According to scripture, when I made that decision to follow Jesus full time, God stopped identifying me as a sinner and he started identifying me as a saint, which depending on your religious background may make you cringe. You may go, oh God, he's a saint. Oh God, I wouldn't pray to him. Like I don't want his trading card. Like it may make you cringe. It, it, it may seem borderline sacrilegious. Yet the apostle Paul, AKA Saint Paul the Apostle, when writing the book of Ephesians, starts that letter with these words To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the saints who are in Ephesus. Do you think those people were perfect? Do you think that they were pure? Do you think they had it all figured out? Do you think that they were all kind, gentle, loving people who only listened to worship, watched the chosen, and spoke words of encouragement over everybody that they met? (laughs) Or were they normal people like you and me? And if there were cars back then, occasionally may have given people the wrong gesture and may have ridden up too close on people or may have slammed on their brakes on, not that I have a problem in traffic, who may have gotten in line and did the one leg shuffle and may have, Like they were normal people just like you and me. I mean, he was, he was writing this letter to a church filled with people who were brand new believers. And some of those people were mean and ugly, impatient and impetuous, rude, hateful, disrespectful, disobedient, arrogant, violent, cheaters, thieves, liars. Some of them were gossips and backbiters, fornicators and adulterers. They were people who still sinned. And yet St. Paul called them saints, which brings up a couple really important questions. How does God see you and how do you see yourself? How does God see you and how do you see yourself? 
How you answer those two questions will play a huge part in the identity you choose to live in. How you answer those two questions will play a huge part in the messages you choose to send yourself. What message are you sending yourself? Are you telling yourself, I'm a sinner? Are you telling yourself, I'm a saint? Listen, whichever of those two messages you choose to send yourself is gonna go a long way in determining how you end up living your life. So for me, I choose to send myself the message that I'm a saint. And that can be controversial because there's really two approaches to establishing sainthood. Uh, you have the church's system to sainthood, uh, which is 10 intricate, difficult, extensive, expensive steps that were established by a group of men a couple hundred years ago in the 1700s. That's one way. Uh, or you have the one that the Apostle Paul talks about throughout the New Testament that was established by God before time began, which is be in Christ. Are you in Christ? Then you're not a sinner. You're a saint. And I get it. I know you're like, for some of you, you're like, oh my God. Like for some of you, uh, your mind just exploded. Like, uh, because I know some of your first reaction, because I know some of you, some of your first reaction is, oh bro, I can't, I can't be a saint. You don't know me, bro. You don't, you don't know what I think, how long I think it, how often I think it, or that I'm thinking it right now. Like, you don't, you don't know what I do or who I do it with or that it's not with the person I'm supposed to be, you know, doing it. Like, you don't, you don't know, bro, you don't know me. I can't. And you're right. I don't. But he does. Which brings us back to the the two questions I asked you a minute ago. How does God see you? And how do you see yourself? You may see yourself as a sinner, but if you're in Christ, regardless of your past mistakes or current regrets, God doesn't. If you're continuing to send yourself the message, I'm a sinner, you, my friend, are in the midst of an identity crisis. But your identity is not defined by your sin. It is defined by your Savior. And in this book that he had written for you, you know, this, you know, if you have one of these, he wrote this book for you. I have have these, uh, I have these uh, two little books that uh, my kids wrote in to me. They're, uh, they're like, what I love about dad. It's a little... Uh, I love when dad does this. I love when dad says this. When dad says this, it makes me do this. When dad has has little stick figure. Now, I gave them the book because I wanted them to write in it. That was my Christmas gift to myself from them. I said, here, here's this book, and here's what I want you to do. And then my daughter didn't write it. I didn't, I didn't, uh, she, she didn't write in it right away because she really wanted to take the time to like really be, she's a lot like me, very analytical. Said, if I write this, what is this going to come across as? So it took her a little time. And I, I was like, oh my, 
oh, me, she, she must not have any thoughts, you know, about me. And so every once in a while when I'm sad, I'll pull out these little books. They're just small. And just open it up. When dad does this, I think that. And I go, oh, God, I am a normal human. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And that's what this book is. Yes. That, that, that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, channeled his thoughts through the hands of men. And, and, and when, he, when he had them write these words, he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about when you were going to be sad. And he was thinking about this Christmas season when you were going to have these moments when you felt like you just couldn't go on. And somewhere within this book, he had somebody, like, like thousands of years ago, he had somebody write a sentence. And that person didn't know you. They didn't know you were ever going to exist. They didn't care about you. They didn't think about you. But the one who had those words written, he was thinking about you. He was, he was praying for you. you know, the Bible says that Jesus prays for you. You know that, right? It says that he stands at the side of the Father and that he prays over you every day. And so in this book that he wrote for you, he doesn't refer to people who are in Christ as sinners, ever. Now, 300 times the Bible does speak about people being sinners, but in all 300 of those times, he's speaking of people who aren't in Christ, people who haven't exchanged their identity for his identity. This book says people who aren't in Christ are sinners, but, but those who are in Christ are saints, always. So if you're in Christ, you aren't just a filthy, wicked, vile sinner who's been forgiven. You aren't just a sinner saved by grace. You are a new creation. And if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things, they've passed away. Behold, all, all. Do you know what that means in the original language? All. It means every, all things have become new in Christ. You have a new identity, biography, and eternity. It is time we stop living our lives in guilt and shame. It's time we stop living like we have to make some kind of weird penance that makes some weird dude feel good about himself like he's having an impact on your life. It is not my job to make you do anything. It's, it's your job and the Holy Spirit's job. It's not my job to change your life. It's my job to connect with the Holy Spirit and let him change my life. And as he changes my life, hopefully the changes that he's made in my life will be an inspiration for you to make changes in your life. It's not your job to change your husband or to change your wife or to change your kids or to change your grandmama. It is your job to let the Holy Spirit work in and through you and change you. And as the Holy Spirit works in and through you and changes you, it changes your environment, and that environment impacts the people around you. It is time we stop living our lives in condemnation, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him into this world. Why? So that it would be saved. Saved from what? From guilt and shame. Saved from condemnation. God isn't looking to condemn you. Convict you? Oh yeah. 
but condemn you? No, not never. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to despair. Conviction ends in joy. Condemnation ends in sorrow. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us want to quit. Conviction looks to Jesus. Condemnation looks to yourself. Conviction is a blessing. Condemnation is a burden. Conviction leads to a new identity in Christ. Condemnation leads to an old identity in sin. How do you identify as a sinner or as a saint? And we have to answer that question today because your identity will always determine your activity. If you continue to send yourself the message, I'm a sinner, when you're tempted to sin, you're automatically going to determine, well, I'm a sinner, so I guess I'll sin. But when you start sending yourself the message, I'm a saint, I'm in Christ, you're going to feel that that, that, uh, temptation to sin, and you're going to go, I better not do that because that's not who I am. That may be what I want to do. That, 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 that may be uh, where I lean. That may be the temptation in my life. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that because cause why? Because I'm not a sinner. And so because I'm not a sinner, I'm not going to live my life in the sin that I want to live in. And when you start to live your life telling yourself, I'm a saint, I'm in Christ, you'll start resisting that sin. You're, you're going to still want to sin. Don't play no games. You're still going to want to sin. You know why? Because sin, oh boy, it feels good. Oh, it feels so good. Sin feels good. Sin feels so good. That's why it's tempting. <laughs> we were at a restaurant the other day, and the, uh, the, uh, the server had walked by. Hey, boo. I'm never tempted by a menu. Man, if you walk by with chocolate cake on a plate, come on, somebody, in Jesus' name. Man, if God didn't want us to eat chocolate cake, it shouldn't have t- Dad is great. He gives us chocolate cake. Man, he should have never made chocolate cake taste so good. If it- I wish chocolate cake made you skinny. You know what I'm saying? I wish it was like a, <sighs> why does Brussels sprouts? make you skinny, but cake make you fat. Why? The devil. That's why. I believe in Eden. If you ate Brussels sprouts, you got a big butt. But if you ate chocolate cake, and Eve had to mess around and eat whatever that fruit. She didn't eat cake. She didn't eat cake because cake was on the weight loss plan back then. She was like, ugh, cake. She was like, ooh, fruit? Come on, somebody. And so when she ate it, I'm just saying, he walked by. I had no tempt. I wasn't even thinking about it dessert at all until he walked by and I was like, Ooh, baby, she knows I'm about to say something stupid. Like when I leave with baby, she knows. I said, baby, we should get dessert. Sonny who never eats dessert was like, yeah. I said, what about that chocolate cake? She goes, Ooh, the chocolate cake. And then the guy came along and he flipped us. He flipped all I, all, all I wanted. I didn't want to finish what I was eating. All I could think about, man, that chocolate cake looks so good. I bet you that is delicious. I bet you it will get stuck in my mustache and I'll have some later. Like, it'll be amazing. And then he came and we were, he's like, you save room for dessert? I said, oh yeah. Oh yeah, plenty. You want to take this home? Nope. I don't want to take none of that home. I want 
whatever, whatever that cake. And then, and then he said, well, I'm going to tell you, the best thing on the menu is the butter cake. I said, oh, does that butter in it? That sounds awesome. Cake with, with butter, like butter? Yeah. And it's a maple syrup. I'm from Canada. We can't not have maple syrup. It is whatever. It is Hebrew. And meringue. Did you know Pastor Sonny told me that meringue is just like hot marshmallow? Like it's just the same texture. It's marshmallow. That's life. At 50 years old, I was like, are you serious? Marshmallows and meringue are basically... No wonder I like meringue. It's delicious. And so we, I didn't even want dessert until suddenly I saw that some of you didn't even want to sin. And you got a message. You was just working. Bing. And you looked and the little, uh, you didn't even know who this person was. They work in your office and their little icon. She's got a bikini on in her icon. And you were, I mean, if she had a sweater, you wouldn't even have clicked on it. But she had the bikini icon, so the people who shouldn't click on the icon will click on it. And the devil had her, bing, send it. Middle of the day, all you were doing was your expense report. The next thing you know, you're clicking on a message. Because sin feels good. You're still going to be tempted. But when you start sending yourself the I'm a saint message, you're going to start resisting that temptation. You know, temptation is always rooted in identity. We see that in the Gospels. When, when, Jesus, when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness, that exchange started with a statement of identity and it ended with a statement of identity. It started when Satan said, if you're the son of God, and it ended when Jesus said, don't you put the Lord your God to the test. The fact is they both knew who Jesus was and they both know who you are too. The question is, do you? See, once you know who you are in Christ, you'll know what you can do through Christ. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You'll be able to resist the devil. And when you resist the devil, he will flee. You'll be able to defeat temptation. When you continue sending yourself the message, I'm a sinner, it minimizes Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and your forgiveness and redemption. In fact, continuing to send yourself that message renders the cross ineffective. So I'm going to ask you one last time. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? I wonder what would happen to your relationships, to your marriages, to your kids, to your careers, to your addictions, to your struggles, to your hopes, to your dreams, to your life, to your destiny. If you stopped telling yourself, I'm a sinner and started telling yourself, I'm a saint. I wonder if you'll start sending yourself a new message today. I hope so. Because if you will, not only will you take on a new identity, you'll become a new creation. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Salvation is all about taking on a new identity. Some of you came in here today and you identified as people who weren't going to heaven. You can leave this place today as people who can identify as people who are. It's really simple. It's not a hard life to live, but it's, it's a pretty simple decision to make. You, you, just, you just do two things. You confess and profess. Confess that you have sin in your life and profess that you believe that Jesus can eradicate that. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I, I, I have sin in my life and I need that to change. I want to leave this place 
having a relationship with Jesus where he is mine and I am his. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today by doing two things. First is in just a moment, I'm going to give people an opportunity to confess by in just a moment, raising their hand and making eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. Then I'm going to give people an opportunity to profess. And here's how is I'm going to, I'm going to say a few lines in a prayer and then I'm going to pause. And if you repeat the words that I said in that prayer and you mean them in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here today, you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't believe that I'm on my way to heaven, but I want to be that way before I leave this place with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. 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 Miss anybody? Okay, I'm going to ask for everyone in here, everyone in here to say these words. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it. Take it away. Forgive it. Change me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if you're here. You say, Sean, I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior but I am still living my life under condemnation, guilt, shame. I am still identifying as a sinner, but I would like to leave here with a new identity. I would like to leave here a new creation. If that's you with nobody to look around, would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you? Yeah, yeah. So Jesus, today for my friends in this place, I pray blessings over them. I pray peace over them, protection over them, that God, you would give them a new identity. Help us be in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.